Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Kanan Kothandaraman, co-founder and CEO at Selector AI. Today's show is all about artificial intelligence, which has been in the news heavily lately. But of course, this is a capacious term and on telegeography explains the internet, we're going to be narrowly focused on how AI ML will impact telecom networks. We've talked a lot on this show about the meaningful changes that have come to corporate networks over the past several years, though often about how that impacts your underlay selection or cloud utilization or especially security, other factors like that. My interview with Conan, of course, is all about AI, specifically AI ops, which don't worry, we will define on the show, but it is a key tool to meet the challenges that come with this reimagined WAN. So Selector is using AI for monitoring and problem solving, and we get into Conan's views on the difference between an observability tool and an observability platform. And I always like to get my guests to talk about specific use cases, particularly when it's like this for a new service or technology. So we get into some real life examples of how their tool and can be deployed and used. Finally, of course, I always like to get guests to opine on the future of telecoms and networks. So Khan and I discuss how AI for networking is developing, what changes we can expect to see in the coming years, and really where we are along in that journey. So this was a really illuminating conversation, especially on this timely topic of AI and how it could be employed in the telecom world. I think you'll enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Conan. Thank you, Greg. Well, Could we start out with a brief background on you and how you came to found Selector? Hi, uh, my name is Kanan Kodanraman. I'm co-founder and CEO of uh, Selector AI. We, we provide observability and AI ops solutions for our customers that run mission-critical networks and application infrastructure. Uh, the, the team here at Selector has previously built products at companies such as Juniper, VMware, Nutanix, and Cisco. And these products run some of the largest networks and applications infrastructure in the world. And that's that's the background that led us to mm-hmm. founding Selector four years ago. So correct me if I'm wrong, Connie, you, you came uh, from uh, your most recent background was at Juniper? That's correct. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I, I was responsible for the routing product line at, at Juniper. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so... That's going to bring us, I think, into kind of where we want to talk about today, that, that the big topic here is, is uh, AI ML in monitoring of the network. But I, I want to start with why that's necessary. So something that we certainly have talked a lot on the show about is the big changes that have happened in the WAN over the last several years, really think starting with SD-WAN and freeing up the underlay, and then of course the move to cloud services away from on-prem commute, compute and, and all that sort of thing. And then of course, COVID accelerated all of these changes and 
the WAN looks really fundamentally different here in 2023 than it did five or especially 10 years ago. We've talked about all the implications for cloud services and underlay selection and SD-WAN service and security and SASE and all that. Um, but how did these changes impact how folks should look at a monitoring solution? Absolutely. Um, it, you, you stated it very well. There have been massive architectural changes that are underpinned by business transformation that has been happening for networking, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Even before the move to cloud, the, the, the changes were afoot in, you know, what is the role of a network, right? First, right. applications are no longer delivered in a monolithic data center. I would be stating the obvious when mentioning cloud, but increasingly it's not just cloud, but edge. It's, uh, it's becoming far more important in being able to provide flexible delivery of applications, be it in a data center, in a cloud, or at the edge. And what exactly is the edge, right? That itself is amorphous. Mm -hmm. And as you rightfully mentioned, the yeah. pandemic has made all of our homes uh, edge networks as well. Mm -hmm. And it's no longer, okay, I'm going to log in and check email. No, I'm doing this uh, podcast uh, from my home and the network, and more importantly, the performance of the network is absolutely crucial. And most enterprises are taking a hybrid approach. It's no, it's no longer just a data center that they own or a cloud or edge. They have SaaS that they are consuming across multiple cloud providers. Usually infrastructure as a service, they pick one cloud provider and, and stay with that. And then they still have their own data centers. Uh, right. They're not completely abandoning them. Large enterprises still need to hedge. Uh, is, is everything in cloud or is some of that mm -hmm. in cloud? But clearly SaaS has moved to the cloud. And even their own applications are no longer monolithic. Containers right. and disaggregation are key driving trends here. So what does this mean for networking? What does this mean for monitoring? It used to be where networking was, did I get you from A to B, connectivity, and I'm good? That's no longer the case. SLA-driven application delivery is what networking teams are being asked to support, and performance is key. And it's heterogeneous, as we just talked about before. And there are lots of vendors, lots of technologies, you know, a lot of protocols involved in, in, in this solving this puzzle. And all of this is making networking more complex, not less. Yeah, we work Absolutely. with a yeah. lot of different enterprises, a lot of different customers, and they are drowning in complexity. Uh, they are drowning in you know, operations that haven't fully uh, evolved. And every networking leader that I talk to wants to move away. And it's in the process of moving away from CLI, manual operations to automated, DevOps-based workflows. That's the only way to, to, to aim complexity. And at the center of all of this is real-time observability and multi-domain AI ops, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. You can't automate what you can't see. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the cloud, and especially the hyperscale cloud providers, they started on this early. They have very sophisticated you know, analytics and automation underpinned by that that has enabled them to tame you know, their complexity and the scale. Now the rest of the world needs it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to, to your point, I remember years ago at, at our event, the WAN Summit, hearing um, enterprise WAN managers asking 
the, the carriers and the vendors on stage, hey, when can I get application-specific SLAs? And they, in a way, got what they wanted, but with the cost of it being much more complex. When you when you have a when when it's all about how the network is performing, uh, and your SLAs are attached to that, that there's only one thing to think about, I guess. Whereas whereas now, since um, as you say, and and you know, just to back that up, our our research definitely shows that everyone has a mix of still some uh, on-premise data centers and and they're using multiple hyperscalers always. And then you add on uh, SaaS, not to mention the shadow IT stuff uh, that may be outside of even what the network team is aware of. And so this this has all become uh, more functional for them. They, uh, the enterprises really wanted to be able to look at the SLA per uh, the, the application but it is much harder to manage, right? So, and and I can see, I think we'll, we'll start to get into this that um, very much that uh, humans can't stay on top of this, especially we now live in a world where the, the skills in networking are not sort of uh, very well distributed in some cases, and, and it's hard to find folks with these uh, very focused areas of expertise. Um, so, so what role do you think um, automation plays in trying to understand this new network? Yeah, that's a good question. If we look at both automation and monitoring, yeah, the prior generation of tools, and you know, if we had monitoring was the focus, right? Monitoring was difficult. Uh, being mm-hmm. able to get reliable data, auto discovery of your infrastructure, and then being able to understand you know, what is happening at a very basic level was very was, was very complex. You had tools like SolarWinds uh, or PRTG for on-prem, or uh, as the move to cloud, you know the rise of Datadog. You know, what mo- these tools will tell you is you know what is happening literally in your infrastructure. With monitoring, you tell a tool what data you want and to notify if a particular value has changed. It's it's easier said than done, uh, but that's basically the, the basics of what these tools did. It's it's what you see is what you get. It's, mm-hmm. it's noisy and it's manual, but it's very rich and complex in you know, what it can uh, provide. But invariably, teams have to, operations teams or engineering teams, you know, what we call you know, civil share. Uh, you have multiple tools. I have one for... Mm-hmm. Uh, per network uh, vendor, I have one for you know uh, an architecture, a syslog, DNS, uh, cloud connectivity now, or I have in the cloud separate monitoring tools. You, you our teams have to swivel chair across these. You have multiple teams coming in, and when there is uh, when there are issues, or even before issues happen, how do you proactively mm-hmm. understand what is happening, right? And mm-hmm. for the most part, underlying monitoring has been commoditized by a lot of open source tooling. Uh, you know, you, you don't need a tool just to provide collection of data, and then you are setting manual rules and and, and regex mm-hmm. expressions to understand what is happening. Right? And with the growth and complexity we talked about, it's almost impossible for an already overworked, you know, operations and engineering team that are trying to keep up with, you know, this alphabet soup of technology stacks that they are using, mm-hmm. where, you know, and then having to deal with you know, 18 to 20 different monitoring tools. And I and I say 18 to 20, that's what we've seen with wow. our, our, our deployments, right? And it's incredibly mm-hmm. complex. And I see teams that we are working with on the operation side, they are up all the time. Right? 
what mm -hmm. the first premise is automation of how my data is being processed and how I am able to get insights from the infrastructure. Uh, that's okay. the premise for observability and the promise for observability. What observability allows them to do is set SLAs and mm -hmm. know when KPIs for those SLAs are being violated or even proactively tell them that KPIs are being violated. Right? Mm -hmm. The cloud provider- Before it gets like, to be an actual sort of SLA violation, you mean, so. Exactly, right. You, know, mm -hmm. you define SLAs and and you uh, you you the monitoring is collecting everything you need, but teams are acting on service level SLAs and KPIs, so they're not inundated by noise. And my CPU is at eighty percent, eighty five percent, ninety percent. My memory is being violated, or you, know, you have one failure that cascades into multiple alarms, and suddenly I have to deal with a hundred different alarms, and I should have really been even proactively notified about that, right? right. You know, especially when you look when and now. Observability allows you to do that on an individual domain basis. Right? I, I don't have to understand the underlying infrastructure. I for mm. each domain, yeah, I, I can set SLAs and KPIs and I can understand what is happening within these domains. Right? But you have multiple domains, you have applications, and you know I, I paint a broad brush saying applications. There's lots mm -hmm. of different subdomains within applications. That's my infrastructure right. that the applications are residing on. It's no longer just physical servers. You have VMs that, and, and then containers and then applications. Just networking. I have LAN, Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. wide area networks. You have you know within networking, DNS, DHCP, Cloud Connect. Uh, I, am I going through an Equinix or a digital real team? Right. The premise for AI ops is once I have good observability uh, deployed, how do I interconnect these domains? If I have a performance issue, uh, that I'm proactively detecting based on an, an observability solution. Is there an issue because of my DNS or is there mm -hmm. an issue within my you know, cloud connect or am I having you know, provider issues with, with BGP or is my Wi-Fi down, right? That's mm -hmm. the premise for AI ops. And, you know, and it's not just a tool. No tool can come in and say, okay, hey, here is automated AI ops. Absolutely, that's, that's, that, won't be, that won't work. Sure. What yeah. teams need are uh, platforms and solution mm -hmm. building support as their workflows are, uh, are unique, right? Just a tool that is generic will fail. Right, right, absolutely. So the signal to noise ratio of all of this could get overwhelming, right? So there's there's going to be alerts of some kind going on at, at all times, but I, I take it from what you're saying that, of course, the real issue in observability is being able to quickly solve the problem, right? So, so I, I think that um, definitely, from you know, hearing from the the IT infrastructure side at, at the enterprise, or really from from the carriers managing this or MSPs managing this, that that's the great difficulty now is that uh, you know compared to that pretty easy point to point or MPLS kind of world, hub and spoke, whatever they used to be in, that that there's just so much information. You mentioned even all these multiple observability tools let alone let alone uh you know the, the multiple factors within them that that sorting this all out to become actual information is still a real challenge right uh, absolutely yes uh, and being able to quickly and proactively know about it right uh, mm -hmm. i'll give you one example 
I, I was at an airport lounge you know, a couple of weeks back and I did my board meeting from there because I'm not mm. finishing the customer meeting. I'm coming right. in there and we were, you know, and I could see a lot of others are doing it. Right? You know, networks have become absolutely mm. critical and, and something happened, you know, performance was an issue and right. it's no longer just basically where, Hey, if I have connectivity, it's good enough to be able to quickly and proactively troubleshoot that and imagine the complexity of the infrastructure where I'm on an airport Wi-Fi in a lounge somewhere running a board meeting, the number of things that need to come together. And I'm dependent on that infrastructure to be reliable, secure, and performant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now, um, before we go any further, Conan, I I just want to pull back a little bit. You you mentioned specifically AIOps. um, That term uh, c- can have slightly different meetings when it's when it's uh, with, with when I'm talking to slightly different people and we always want to uh, bring everybody who's listening to this show because we have a, a kind of broad audience from the telecom world the end user world different kinds of vendors or whatever how uh, for your purposes at selector would you define AI ops uh, really good question if, if you look at traditionally what we, we think of as AI. It's, hey, are, are, are my photos being recognized uh, on, on, on Facebook or Google? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. 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 So Chat GPT now is what everyone wants to talk about with AI. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. right. Actually, mm-hmm. Chat GPT is a great example of model-driven AI. I have mm-hmm. a lot of data uh, and it is being labeled by an or- army of people yeah, on what that, you know, the data coming in uh, right. means, right? So you, labeling is absolutely crucial for model-driven AI. So I have seen mm-hmm. all of these patterns and occurrences in the past. I'm, I'm going to have somebody label uh, and teach the system what it is. And then I'm going to apply that model to new data coming in, right? So mm-hmm. photos might be one example. I'm training based on you know, the, all the photos that I already have. And you're saying, you know, in, in your Apple or, or, or your photos, you do this, right? This is person X, this is person Y. And then it's able to recognize in different scenarios is, is that same person uh, right. in, in, the, in this photo, right? Which uh, I'll say as the, a non-technical person in a way, that, that is fairly straightforward to understand. Certainly, you know, obviously not at, at the level of the algorithm, but, but as, a, as a concept, I think everybody can sort of grasp onto what's happening there, you know? Exactly. And it's you've predictably seen what is going to happen based on past data and somebody has labeled it, right? So that's model-driven. And a lot of initial AI ops uh, infrastructure use that approach, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. work, right? So Mm -hmm. what we uh, uh, do is what we call data-centric AI. It's Mm -hmm. the, the data that we have in front of us determines the outcome that you know, AI ops provides to you, right? Because one, mm-hmm. but, but why do we need that? One, historical data is never available in a clean label for, uh, uh, manner from, uh, from right. infrastructure. It's just not there. And that would require people going through this old historical data and doing it just like you say, it's, it's, it's one thing with, with language or whatever, but having someone label all of these, label them accurately and in a way that can be plugged into an algorithm or whatever, that, that's just a lot of work that hasn't been done. Is that, that the case? That's absolutely right. You, you take the scenario where a customer running a network, running infrastructure wants to take advantage of AI ops and, and compare that to say chat GPT. 
how long how many years has chat gpt been trained to get exactly. to a state and even now it gets to a state where you get a lot of you know erroneous answers right mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. is not something that people running critical infrastructure will accept yeah. Yeah, first that won't you, do you're not going to yeah. train for 2 years and even the training data you don't have an army sitting in offshore labeling this so you have to make use of the data coming in so what we do we we've seen enough scenarios we built enough uh, use cases and, and 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 algorithms based on existing scenarios we see but you cannot take data from one customer to the other right these are all completely proprietary mm-hmm. uh, uh, data so what we have is algorithms that then make use of existing data that our customers are sending to us on a real time basis so you uh, all of the, the current data informs the outcomes and the decisions and the correlations you know we are making and the other crucial part of data centric is the fact that if something happened in the past it doesn't mean that you can say hey, that's the reason you're having an issue now right so you could it could be that hey i'm having performance issue because my bgp uh, 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 chose an alternate path but now you might be having performance issue because i'm seeing you know qos drops or am i seeing optical you can't say hey previously i saw a performance issue and that was because of bgp i learned that every time you have a performance issue in this part of the network i'm going to say it's because of bgp you have to make use of real time data real time correlation right. to provide contextual uh, output and contextual information that is a huge difference between model centric and data centric uh, ai and and i've also started to hear the term process centric which is actually quite good where mm-hmm. it's you you take the data but then you have to align that to a particular customers you know workflows or processes right, uh, right? you just cannot spit out generic inputs uh, or outputs to them and that's basically where the solution aspect comes in a tool would you know, spit out generic you know, uh, outputs but a solution mm-hmm. is contextual to the workflows that a particular customer has yeah I, i like the way you put that let's let's focus on that i know there's there was a what i found to be a really interesting um uh, blog post on on your uh, your site at selector about uh, the observability platform versus the observability tool could you flesh that out uh, for us uh, more distinctly yeah if you build a generic tool you it has to be you know it it basically it'll eventually end up being you know a, a sea of you know menus and options that then the the operations and the networking teams have to customize for themselves and no tool can really replicate workflows that you know, some of these complex uh, enterprises have so right. we always take a solutions building approach either ourselves or through a partner it, the the tool have to be very programmable but the tool is just the starting point the the mm-hmm. platform takes basically the the workflows that the customers have and then you know, provide a solution that is closely aligned with with their specific needs with their uh, workflows how do you tune the the algorithms that the the, the ai uh, the solution is using and you know is this what your business processes are and how do you perform workflows remediations based on your business needs right the tool 
basically will not be able to provide that. You need to have a solution building approach with your customers and your platform has to be very programmable to be able to support that. Right? Uh, that's basically the approach right. that we have taken uh, and, and that's the only approach for AI ops that will work. Mm-hmm. Right. That essentially you have to have a, a foundation you're building on because of the complexity that we're dealing with here. Everyone's complexity is going to look a little bit different. So you have to to not have just a, a sort of dumb tool, if you will, that that works the same way, regardless of, of what the enterprise or or their their you know MSP or whatever the case may be um, is is having to manage within their network. And I mean, definitely, I see this as true across the looking at the enterprise world, when I talk to folks that that um, manage large networks, that um, even within, say, the same vertical or something like that, uh, you know, okay, well, if I'm in healthcare, we all still have compliance similar, but everyone's network ends up still being very different, uh, even sometimes different down to their style of, of how they, they want to do things. So I think anything that that uh, is going to have this like broad ability has to be flexible enough to to uh, deal with all these different layers of complexity, certainly. Exactly. And it's still early days in this journey uh, in mm-hmm. the industry. The Where the data is, is still very heterogeneous, uh, not mm-hmm. fully clean. Yeah, right. the, the workflow and the platform approach starts with first the ETL layer. Right? I have data uh, and, and for AI and ML to work, I need good tagging, I, I need good labeling, but CMDBs are not perfect. Uh, and you mm-hmm. need to use uh, labels and tags available in the data itself. Now, how do they relate to each other? That could be different for different customers. One of our customers has a definition called hybrid cloud. There is no such thing as hybrid cloud in a mm-hmm. real network. So you have to work with them to have the definition of what is your hybrid cloud. All right. mm-hmm. Is it one of the service providers and is it cloud connections at Equinix or, you know, or digital realty or, you know, are you using, you know, uh, third party uh, uh, networks? Do you have your own, you know, campus network? How, what, what does that mean? How right. do you, how is this lab, uh, data labeled in your infrastructure? And then how do you connect the dots, right? What defines an SLA violation for you? What defines you know, the connecting dots in terms of, you know, your infrastructure. What are the current tooling you have? You know, very little is greenfield. Mm-hmm. Most of them, you know, uh, I would say all of them are brownfield. They already have existing tooling in place. We cannot go to them and say, hey, you know, you need to replace your existing tooling to take advantage of our AI ops. You have to align two things. And these are tools that have been used for a while uh, and you know the human element has come in. How do they enter data? How do they you know uh, interact with it? All of that has to be taken into account. This is a solution building exercise that uh, it will will lead to success. Right? And then as you learn, you start to automate more and more of these workflows, more and more of these solutions. Right? But it's still very early days on this. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. A lot of what you say reminds me a lot of the conversations I've had around Sassy lately. That's it's very much that there there's a sense out there in which okay, the the CTO CIO has heard about Sassy and infrastructure team security team get together check this box for us. 
but in the end, that's like a, a framework that that you're you're never going to be greenfield on. You already have a dozen security providers, and then it's like, how do I keep what I have going without? No one can afford to do rip and replace of everything. So I, I hear you saying kind of the same story with with monitoring that it's like you would approach it as okay, what's there? What are you doing? What are you looking for now? And we'll work with that rather than just saying sort of like, you know, uh, you know, let's let's start from scratch because no no one can practically do that uh, in, in the real world, I think. That's exactly right. And the strength of the platform is in how quickly can you then take those inputs? How flexible is your programming model? Right? How, how, mm. uh, how quickly can you, you know, process the ETL layer that might be different uh, by customer? And how much of the expertise you have learned, not the data, you know, the data, as I mentioned before, I'll reiterate is proprietary, but you have learned things on your own uh, from working with you know, different types of environments. And there's a lot of you know, data out there from various uh, vendors and infrastructure. How quickly can you bring those in into new deployment so that customers can see value quickly, right? It, is it, just because it's a solution building exercise, it cannot be six months or nine right. months you know, of solution building, how quickly can you do that? But this is the turnkey aspect is how flexible and programmable these platforms you know, can be so that mm. the end users are seeing outcomes rather than struggling with programming or struggling with configuring the tools. Right, right, absolutely. And, and you know, like we said before, kind of, in the end, observability is all about what actions can I take that will, you know, keep me from going down or keep me from losing data from some customers or whatever the case may be, right? That getting to action is the real point, right? So, Yes, exactly. So now in, in that light, I, I wonder if we could kind of go over your market strategy, right? So we, we haven't really addressed this yet. Is this um, a, a tool for... Uh, providers, MSPs? Is this a tool for, for the enterprise directly? Is it some mix of that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So where we see you know, the most traction as well as uh, you know, importance placed to a solution like this is, if, is your infrastructure critical to your revenue? Right? Mm-hmm. Be it networks, be it uh, compute infrastructure, what is the impact of not just your network or, 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 or infrastructure going down, but even having a performance issue, right? right. Uh, so clearly, if the network is your business, that tends to be some, an area where we resonate very well, right? You know, right. hey, I, I, not just I need my network up and running. It has to be highly performant, available, and secure, and I'm adding a lot of services on top of uh, so service providers, telcos, you know, uh, uh, hosting providers, cloud providers, these are natural fit for the solution. But you know, like what I mentioned before, you know, networks are becoming critical for everybody, right? So if, if, yeah. if you're in hospitality and your network goes down, are, you know, is, is that gonna have a revenue impact? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if I'm a retailer, and my network is not performant, I'm going to see a network issue. I'm sorry, I'm going to see a revenue issue. Right. Those are customers that you know, naturally are a great fit for us. And that's basically where we've seen the most success, right? So do you value your infrastructure, networks, and applications from a revenue point of view, not just, hey, I need to have this, right? Because I need to provide connectivity, right? 
that is that that tends to be where you know we have most success yeah absolutely and i'll say you know that is that is the way the the enterprise win is going across many different verticals and lines of business right is that um the whole point of digital transformation in a way is to allow the network to enable business rather than just have the network there um, as as something that has to be in place as infrastructure so that business can happen. It's it's now integrated into how uh, you know uh, business happens for for so many companies. I think just going to be more so the case. And again, we're in that world where. While that is more so the case, and the the sea level people want uh, to to see those kinds of results, then there's more pressure on IT infrastructure to make sure that that's all working, right? So yes. it's all of a sudden a much a much more uh, skill demanded and, and and high pressure job perhaps than than it ever has been. Excellent. So, do, do, can you share with us um, uh, any sort of specific use cases along the lines of uh, you know? Uh, probably not naming names, but maybe you know, a kind of business engagement and 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 what uh, specific problems they were looking to solve. Absolutely. So our current deployments, we have several use cases, and I would say target environments that you know, we, we've uh, we've really been uh, successful in our deployments. You know, data center networking, you know, application delivery tends to be a, a pretty wide use case for us. All right? you, know, mm-hmm. you have you know, uh, customers that run their own data centers, lots of them still do, and they're also moving uh, to the cloud. Now, how do I provide observability and AI ops across this hybrid environment, right? Right. So that tends to be a very large uh, segment of our uh, use cases. And then how am I connecting them, right? SD-WAN clearly is a pretty big use case uh, for us today. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, WAN connectivity, is is super crucial now. Like to to go back to our previous conversation, you know, first thing most business users, as soon as they get into a plane, the first thing they're doing is connecting to Wi-Fi and paying for it. Mm-hmm. You know, paying a premium mm-hmm. for it. And if that WAN connectivity has performance issues, that's going to be a big problem for the airline. Right? You know, right. you're you know you're going to either ask for your money back, or you know you're not going to do it again. Right? Now you're going to pick a different mm-hmm. airline. Same thing goes for hospitality or if anywhere I am, you know, work is being done in 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 multiple uh, places, and applications need to be delivered reliably. So van connectivity is a huge area of focus, not just you know within the data center, but data center to data center, data center to cloud, right? That hybrid cloud aspect. Some using SD van, some using cloud connect providers like Equinix or or, or Digital mm-hmm. Realty or the like. Uh, or you know, enterprises running their own wide area networks, or using the right. public internet as well, right? So that mm-hmm. uh, dominates our use cases uh, today. Uh, we are, you know, in in you know, we are also starting to see a lot of interest in container networking, uh, especially mm-hmm. around as enterprises move to the cloud, they are going to require the type of you know, interconnectivity that they had within the data center, right? You know, uh, VPN uh, within their applications, right? You know, secure security and segmentation. So container network is evolving, but with it comes the need to observe, to, to automate uh, that. And we are also seeing a lot of interest in private 5G, 5G overall, uh, mm-hmm. private 5G for enterprises, 5G for an, an application delivery at the edge using you know, solutions like, you know, uh, Mac, Mobile Edge uh, Compute, mm-hmm. 
right mm-hmm. and for enterprises sasi uh, we we are hearing a lot of uh, requests for sasi based visibility very early still uh, but that's mm-hmm. something clearly an area of focus for us era this year and so could you perhaps uh, fit into someone's uh, say zero trust solution where uh, one of one of the promises of the the sasi zero trust kind of framework is that you can know who everyone is and whether they're doing something unusual that, you know, um, uh, logging on from a device in a different location or is, does that fit into sort of where selector may go with observability? So we we are, uh, we don't go too deep in, in, you know, the security, leave uh, leave the real, right. Leave the, the security focused stuff and, and, and stick with, with feeding information to those security tools. If that makes sense. We could, you know, mm-hmm. we do connect into tools that we are not domain experts in, right? So we, mm-hmm. we could get alerts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where the AI ops comes in. We don't have to be domain experts in everything. We are domain mm-hmm. experts in mm-hmm. networking, right? So we can go right. deep in, okay, hey, you know, a particular DWDM is having, you know, optical issues. And right? we can we right. can go as deep or, you know, debug BGP issues. But we leave the other domain areas to the, 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 the respective uh, uh, mm-hmm. owners there. But then what we play is how do you bring it all together, right? Um, right. Is the network to blame? If it is not, then what is the team or what is the infrastructure that needs to take a look, right? It's, you know, the meantime to innocence for networking, but if it is a networking issue, go deep. But if mm-hmm. it is not, who else should look at it, right? So if it is security issues, there are a lot of tools there. It's the the aura environment has become so diverse and complex no one solution can go deep in everything, right. Uh, right? But you need one solution that brings in where the potential issue could be. And we play that role from an AI ops point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that I think that's really clear. Thank you for that. It's like precisely what I was getting at in the sense that um, there's with this, you know, from from where we started at the beginning of of the the new complexity in the way, and there's also a complexity of, of tools, right? That there there isn't a single security solution out there that that someone could use. There isn't, um, you know, within SD WAN, for example, you know, coming from from Juniper, you'll have some appreciation of this that all the SD WAN providers have a bunch of other tools integrated into their SD-WAN service oh, yes. now, of course, right? You know, um, so so I think uh, it's it's uh, really interesting to to understand the, each pieces of that, and and as a network manager or as an MSP or whatever, uh, be able to put together the right suite of of you know best in class. And I wonder if from your end, does that mean anything about how you guys design the tool to be able to maybe sort of sync up via API or something with with other tools that have uh, uh, in place? Is, is that something that that uh, you guys are interested in? Oh, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. the API based integration, and it's not just with other tools, Mm-hmm. Like our customers, they have written a lot of you know homegrown applications themselves, mm, which absolutely. you know requires yeah. API based, or it could be spreadsheets, mm-hmm. uh, it, it could be you know proprietary uh, you know data formats, right? You know, our approach is whatever you know, engineering and operations teams at you know, these enterprises service providers are using to run their operations, our tool needs to connect to that. Right, API. Right. You know, I would say it's it's you know uh, uh, standard ways to get data. Maybe it's fifty percent of the type of data that we get. The remaining fifty percent, 
is api driven be it custom mm-hmm. or you know uh, standard right that is absolutely crucial and it's also a way for us to work with partners uh, you know as i mentioned the number of expertise uh, number of domains and the expertise required there is quite large uh, mm-hmm. so a one uh, enterprise or a vendor cannot solve all of these right and right. partners because they've been working with you know our end customers for a very long time that depth of domain expertise that they bring in is absolutely crucial and they might have some tooling on their own that we need to integrate with right so that mm-hmm. being open and agnostic to where the data is coming from where the data is going to how do you mm-hmm. automate this right how do you close the loop from a remediation point of view being open to the type of tooling that you know uh, is is already present for automation these are absolutely crucial for a successful solution it's not just that aha moment like hey i'm finding the needle in the haystack that tends right. to be not the primary focus mm-hmm. no that makes a lot of sense with with this complexity the the walled gardens aren't going to succeed right no, no. so yeah yeah absolutely now kind of this has been great i i, I um, really appreciate uh, understanding better you know how observability works and and impacts everything i wonder if i could pull back with you a little bit and just say uh, even beyond what you're doing at selector what do you see coming for the wan in the next few years i love asking this question because everybody comes at it in a different way. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, we've seen a lot of change over the past five years or so. Um, is, is that change going to keep going over the next five years? Do, do we, we constantly need to sort of rethink how we're uh, enabling business over the network? Absolutely. It's, it's changing because the world uh, and, and how people interact is changing all the time. I mean, who, mm-hmm. who knew the pandemic would right. change things so dramatically where my home network is absolutely crucial. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, an airport lounge network is absolutely crucial and performant, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and the move to you know, edge and cloud connectivity, right? You know, and, and cloud is very amorphous, right? You know, it's not just, hey, I'm going to a cloud uh, in, in a particular availability zone, right? Cloud is everywhere, right? So mm-hmm. that is continuing to change and you know, programmability, reliability and security across this infrastructure is still very early on, right? Nobody has really yeah. cracked the nut in terms of, hey, you know, uh, here is a solution that solves all of it. Well, and it's not gonna be from one vendor architecture uh, that, that is gonna solve this, right? And, mm-hmm. and I, we are just in the beginning of the next generation of intelligent networking. You see the number right. of, you know, startups uh, in this area that are you know, making available very, very you know, flexible and sophisticated networking solutions as enterprises evolve to you know, users and applications are everywhere uh, and, and need access reliably with high performance at any time, right? Mm-hmm. That's not an easy uh, you know, thing to solve. And at the, at the, at the, at the, uh, of course, at the underpinning all of this is cost. Right, you know, yeah. I, I just yep. cannot keep doing things the same way, uh, right? And build such large scale infrastructure and and keep down costs, right? And keep down both you know, uh, equipment and 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 tooling costs, but also the the people costs, right? You know, so yeah. that and and people are also overwhelmed by the level of complexity, right? So they are looking for new solutions, you know, constantly. Yeah, I mean, you know, th- there's almost a kind of story of of the the industrial and economic development of 
humanity here, right? Which is that that we we, we think of the world now as so complex and and complicated, but all along the way we have invented these tools to help us adapt to that new environment all the time. And, uh, you know, people hear a lot about what AI can do in the consumer world and whatnot, but I think it's really interesting to hear how that's going to develop in networking space, right? And, and um, you know, the, there's been that promise of software definition, but really, uh, do, you, do you think we're, we're close to having something like, uh, a really functional AI ML that that is easy to deploy and for, and for folks to use without maybe a lot of upskilling on on their end, um, uh, or or is there still going to be this like sort of transitionary period where you really need to have folks who uh, very much understand this um, at, down to the level of of the code and and all that sort of thing um, uh, before it can be truly sort of plug and play, if if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you know, we definitely are in. I would say the early phases of you know the the promise of AI after right. So there's been mm-hmm. a a lot of promise, uh, right? A lot a lot of disillusionment. Yeah, and again, it's not because uh, you know folks haven't tried, right? So some of the mm-hmm. early adopters of these technologies, uh, right? Uh, it's it's either the data is not ready or the technology is not ready, uh, or the approach you know was something that ne- needed to be reconsidered for this new domain, right? You know you can't mm-hmm. take you know, AI for uh, photo recognition and apply that to networking, right? So, right. so we are still in that, you know, early phases, uh, right? You know, the, the, but we've seen good results, uh, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, folks should not expect basically, you know, uh, a minority report like AI, right? You know, that AI is not God, yeah. right? It's seeing everything, yeah. right? There is the, some of that expectations. No, you, you have to build into a, a robust solution and outcome. And that, and, and that takes, partnership and solution building, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. not here is a turnkey tool. We'll, we'll get there, right. right? I think it's not too far away, but mm-hmm. uh, we have to, you know, everybody needs to have, you know, realization that, you know, it, it's a journey rather than, okay, we already have the tools that will, you know, deliver everything they want for us. Yeah, you know, one that I often like to use as an analogy is, is you know, self-driving cars because everyone can, can grok that easily, right? And that- yeah. In the in the mind of the consumer, there was like, okay, so one day I'm going to wake up and there's going to be a car that I get in and it's going to drive me to my destination. But in reality, there's years of just taking little tiny things away from the driver's responsibility and just adding a little bit more on to uh, the, the AI and then that information going back and building and, and refining, you know, the, the rules and the policies and that sort of thing. Is, is it similar in, in AI ops for, for networking? Absolutely. That's, that's a great example. Yes, you, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, this has been really fun. I, I, I love this topic because it's there's there's going to be so much, I think, change over the next decade that, that makes being an analyst really interesting. So thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. And um, how can listeners keep up with, with you uh, and, and what you're doing at Selector if they want to look in on you? Absolutely. So uh, one, education and, you know, lo- Posting what we learn is uh, ourselves is, is super crucial for us. Mm. So we mm-hmm. post a lot of this uh, content, uh, what we are learning, you know, customer, uh, not just testimonials, but the, the customer journey, uh, right? as much as they're willing to share. We post that on our LinkedIn page uh, mm. and all of it is also available uh, on our website, selected.ai. Uh, and you know, it, given the journey, 
that education and you know that constant interaction with uh, the general uh, user base is absolutely crucial for us and right. we absolutely welcome the opportunity to to, to do more uh, you know discussions such as this Greg really appreciate the opportunity yeah yeah absolutely my pleasure thanks so much uh, for joining me and and I definitely let's let's check in in a couple of years and see how things have developed right <laughs> so yeah absolutely thank you Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.